So today I will share with you the Pentecost story. When Pentecost Day arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound from heaven, like a howling of a fierce wind, filled the entire house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be individual flames of fire alighting on each one of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them to speak. There were pious Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. When they heard this sound, the crowd gathered. They were mystified because everyone heard them speaking in their own native languages. They were surprised and amazed, saying, Look, aren't all the people who are speaking Galileans? Every one of them? How can then we each hear them speaking in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, as well as residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the regions of Libya bordering Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism. Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the mighty works of God in their own languages. They were all surprised and bewildered. Some asked each other, what does this mean? And others jeered at them saying, they're full of new wine. Peter stood with the other 11 apostles. He raised his voice and declared, Judeans and everyone living in Jerusalem, know this. Listen carefully to my words. These people aren't drunk. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. Rather, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young will see visions. Your elders will dream dreams. Even upon my servants, men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will cause wonders to occur in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and a cloud of smoke. The sun will be changed into darkness and the moon will be changed into blood before the great and spectacular day of the Lord comes. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So this passage is often seen as the beginning of the church, as the moment when the story went from being hidden in a room by some very scared people who had just seen Jesus die, to being shared out in the world. And if it wasn't for this intervention by the Holy Spirit, who knows if those people would have shared that story, perhaps we would not be sitting here today. Perhaps we wouldn't be celebrating Pentecost at all, and perhaps some of us would not have had to hunt for the one article of red clothing that we wear only on this day every year. Without that jump start, there is a chance that all of this would be different. I often hear people talk about 
this scripture as a miracle. And usually what they're talking about is the moment where they're all speaking in different languages. They talk about the gift of speaking in tongues, and some traditions even still practice this gift. Curiously, though, I wonder if we're missing other miracles that are happening in this story. I wonder if we glaze over the miracle that these men who were cowering in a room from fear were suddenly so comforted that they began preaching out loud in the streets to anyone who would hear them. What comforted them in that moment when the Spirit filled them? Was it a message that was placed on their hearts? And was it the same message that was placed on each of their hearts? And even, of course, if it was the exact same message, did they all walk away getting the same thing from that experience? Humans are quite capable of hearing different things, even if presented with one piece of sound. Some of you know where this is going. <laughs> one of the most recent examples is sweeping the world, by which I mean sweeping Facebook. And so it is the ever popular Yanni versus Laurel controversy. So if you're unfamiliar with this, basically it is an audio clip in which it plays something and some people hear Yanni and the correct people hear Laurel. <laughs> <laughs> and so as a little experiment today, I'm going to have you listen. So let me know what you hear. Listen carefully to this and then you're going to tell me if you hear Laurel or Yanni. Laurel, 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 Laurel. Okay. All right. <laughs> so raise your hand if you heard Yanny. All right. So I'm sorry. There's so many wrong people in this room. Um, raise your hand if you heard Laurel. Congratulations. <laughs> yes. Yeah. No, nothing brings cohesion in a church more like congratulating half of you. <laughs> yes. I have to tell you that the guy who reported that was on NPR this morning. Yes. Yeah. That's, I know. Yes. So, just like that game of telephone we played as kids, right? Like, we can hear one message presented, and it doesn't mean we're all hearing the same thing. What if this same experience happened to the disciples? The passage tells us that there were wind and flames that came to rest on their heads. Perhaps each of the disciples didn't just have that flame appearing on their head. Perhaps the key is when the Holy Spirit filled them, providing each individual with exactly what they needed to have their fears eased, to motivate them to leave that room to challenge them to spread that story. The Spirit provided each of them, then, was the gift of tongues to make sure that even more people could hear the good news. What would motivate each of them would have to be different. After all, what we hear and what challenges us is often shaped by other experiences in our lives. 
We're a product of our environment and our experiences. Everything that has happened in our lives, every person we have loved, every person we have touched, every person who has touched us, it's all woven together to make us up. What we hear is what causes us to react. And if we don't hear the right thing, we might miss the message. So here is another example of this. This morning I heard something that blew my mind even more. Okay, I'm going to play a clip. Listen carefully to this. All right, now I'm going to play a different clip. The juice of lemons makes fine punch. Now I'm going to play the first clip you heard. Right? Without that second piece, the first piece just sounded like static, right? Did anyone hear anything in the first piece? We were all trying desperately to do so? I went back and played it again because I was like, that's not the same clip. I would have heard that the first time. No, it's the, it, you can hear it the first time once you've heard the second piece. So perhaps the Holy Spirit, when challenging the disciples, used the experiences they'd had to help them read into this new wisdom. This more personal touch of God this way of looking at people as individuals and reaching into their lives to make change, that is what I see most in my ministry. I don't see the Holy Spirit issuing blanket statements or rules that everyone follows. I see the Holy Spirit taking into account experience, inner wisdom, fear, doubts, and gifts and breathing into each person whatever they need so that they may hear and be relieved. So as I told you before, I am a hospice chaplain. I work in an inpatient facility. For those of you who are not familiar with hospice, basically to qualify for hospice, you have to have six months or less left to live. And when you qualify for hospice, you sign up saying that you're not going to do any more invasive procedures. The only things that are going to be done are things that will keep you comfortable. And so nurses, and doctors, and social workers, and a chaplain all begin to appear in your house to wrap around and care for you, or to care for your loved one as a whole person and to ease that time at end of life. Now there are some people who their symptoms become too intense that they can't be managed at home. Perhaps they need IV medication. And so those people go to an inpatient facility. And that is where I work, Gosnell Memorial Hospice House. And so my patients, when they come in, are often near the very end and often in the midst of a crisis. Now, the social workers are great. They help with any kind of financial things, any kind of family dynamic things, any kind of arrangements that you should need. The nurses are great. They'll help with medication to ease the symptoms, perhaps help the breathing to help you feel less pain. The doctors oversee that all. The aides come and they help you with all of your personal care. 
And the chaplain, my job is spiritual care. And that is the hardest job description on the planet to describe. When I walk into a room, I have some people who say, I'm an atheist, I want to stay that way. And I always say, okay. So if religion brings people joy and comfort, what brings you joy and comfort? And some of the most beautiful and spiritual stories have been from the people who have started off by assuring me that they are an atheist. They talk about the way the wind moves when they're surfing and how they feel connected to it all. And sometimes they tell me that the thing that brings them the most joy is chocolate ice cream. And every day I bring them chocolate ice cream and we call it their spiritual practice. Because hey, why not? There are other times though. There are times when my conversations with people are much more spiritual, much more traditionally spiritual. I'd like you to meet Grace. Grace is a woman that I met, and she was an older lady with COPD. This meant that when she spoke, every few words she had to stop and take a breath because she was so winded from the act of speaking. And so I sat with her, and the first thing she said to me was, you know, I'm not afraid to die. Now that's a pretty bold statement. I said, tell me, tell me more about that. She said, when I was a child, we lived with a huge field. And one day I was out running, and I was running as fast as my little legs would carry me. And there before me was a fence. And as every little kid does, I had not paid attention until it was far too late. And I was sure I was about to hit it. There was no way to stop, and I wasn't going to clear it. And then I don't know what happened, but I felt like I was lifted up. And then I was on the other side. And she said, I ran home and I told my family and all the adults in the room, God just picked me up so I didn't hit a fence. And of course they all said, that's great, I'm sure, that's terrific. Do you need a Band-Aid? much like the disciples in the story who get dismissed for being drunk. She was dismissed. But she said, I know it was real. And later, when I was pregnant, I was six months pregnant, and I was in my car driving, and a car came hurling towards me. And she said, I was so calm. I remember thinking, we might both die. But I remembered that fence. And I was lifted, and I survived, and this is my daughter. And I smiled at her daughter, who was bedside, who smiled and said, I'm pretty glad she was lifted, too. <laughs> and Grace said, you know, it's going to be okay. Because I don't know what it looks like after I die. But what I do know is that when I die, I'm going to be lifted again and I'm going to land safely. And that is the most beautiful image I have ever heard somebody describe their death. It's not uncommon for people to share these stories with me because if you've only got a limited time, you don't have time 
for talking about paint colors. This is Peggy. Peggy was one of my people who initially identified herself as non-religious. And in fact, she was non-religious and did not want me to talk religion with her. And I said, all right, then what do you want to talk about? So she talked about her kids, and she talked about the weather, and she talked about gardening, and she just talked. And then she said, I am terrified of dying. I am terrified that I am leaving my family. I am terrified that there is nothing beyond here and that it ends. And I am so scared. As her disease progressed and we continued to meet and talk, she began to have visions. This person who was so staunchly non-religious began to see angels. And so she described these visions to her daughter, who then drew them. I'd like you to see Peggy's visions. This is her being held. This is her moving beyond at death. This is after she has died and the people on earth are caring for her body. Can you see the small child? She lost a baby. She is being lifted. And this this was the story, the vision, that changed her most. She said, it isn't that I become nothing. It is that I become everything. These visions, these were exactly what Peggy needed. They spoke into her life. They eased her fears. They brought her peace. They brought her family peace, too. And when she took her last breath, I was thankful for the way that God had worked in her life. In both of these cases, God worked into their lives. The Holy Spirit showed up in exactly the way they needed. The way they needed to break their fear so that they could then be at peace. Just the same way the Holy Spirit broke into the disciples and changed their fear so that they could go from that room to share their story. I'm not sure what each disciple was comforted with. I'm not sure if the message was the same, but the interpretation was just different. But what I am sure of is that it was exactly perfect for each and every one of them. After all, they did go and preach. So if the Holy Spirit can speak to each and every one of them in just the way they need, and if the Holy Spirit can work in the lives of 
with my patients, even the ones who dig their heels in strongest and say, I don't think there's anything, then surely the Holy Spirit is working in the lives of each one of us. And it could be anywhere. It could be through a conversation with a friend. It could be through a song. It could be through your work. It could be through a beautiful sunrise. But surely, the Holy Spirit is speaking. So I leave you with two questions. Where is the Holy Spirit speaking in your life? And more importantly, are you listening? Amen. So we're going to stand and sing another song. I invite you to all join.